Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Feminist Babysitter. I am one of your hosts, Sean Ferrick, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Dr. Carol Quigley. How are you this week? Good. I think I still have COVID, but that's okay, because I still feel fine. That is good. You are, as always, a medical marvel, and you are the, as we discussed just off the air, you are now the cure for COVID. Clearly. So how do you intend to pass this cure on to the rest of humanity? Feminism. Hey, look, is that is the very definition of it, not encouraging people to be better. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's all good. Feminism is the cure. No, God, no, I need to stop saying these things on recording and I'll end up like another Alex Jones. No, I don't actually think that's the cure. I'm just an incredibly lucky person who's asymptomatic. But also feminism. That's right. So so 100% feminism is the cure for COVID. And that's fine with me. That's fine with me. So and how are you? I'm not bad at all, actually. I'm not bad at all. I am slightly more rested than the last time we were talking. The last time we were talking, I had done a 24-hour research and reading, and I could smell colours by the end of it. Um, whereas this time, I, I did that thing, uh, sleep. Wow. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. Um, I was uh, engaged in the betterment of myself as a male. Good. Um, and uh, yes, and uh, I have learned that there are several interpretations of what that actually means. Mm. Mm. So, um, so to... we've had a couple of nice weeks and now we have to go and do something harsh again. Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Yes. So I think it was a kindness to everyone uh, when we did our topic of International Women's Day, which we did yeah. like four weeks in a row, thanks to my notes. And, uh, you know, Waking the Feminists as well, yeah. which was super And the waves of feminism. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All of these things are great. Wonderful. It's wonderful. So now, toxic masculinity. Yeah. Um, so for the benefit of the listener, before we started recording, um, Carol said to me that this week I could just show up, hit record and leave. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I thought was just in like... fairness, it's kind of true most weeks. I mean, what? I do think it's I do think it's sweet that you come every week on. Oh, can we push it a bit later because I need to do some more research or I need to read this? And I'm like, yeah, cool. I haven't opened a, a note, but okay. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's like you know, kind of my, my and again, my only my only way the comparison thing is like you know, great when you start your Star Trek podcast, Carol, like yeah. record anytime you like. That's fine. I probably don't need to do much research when it comes to it. I'd say I probably know entirely too much yeah yeah um it's fine um so toxic so uh so i'm kind of wondering where to start because toxic masculinity as a descriptor um Mm -hmm. is not nearly as old as i thought it was it only comes around in about the 80s or 90s yeah um because it comes from hegemonic masculinity Yes, and perhaps you could help me with the pronunciation of the writer's name. I have Raywin Connell. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Or W Connell? Yeah, yeah. Or so w- or w Connell is a um, is a trans sociologist. So generally goes by Or W. Okay. Certain. Yeah. All right. Thank, thank An you. An Australian yeah. sociologist. See, I just know those things off the top of my head. I, I, I would say that. So basically, but every week I come to this and like you have a collection of topics. I have a collection of questions. <laughs> uh, that's that's kind of like, you know, I am. Um, I would like to thank all of the listeners who are here joining me in my college course that I'm attended, taught by Dr. Carol Quigley. And I'm I'm not joking like at this point. <laughs> um, so uh, so. The term toxic. Okay, actually, put what I'm talking about. Um, Cara, could you define toxic masculinity for us, please? Okay, so, well, I was thinking back before we started this, because I know I've covered and I know I would have mentioned Connell's masculinities um, in definitely the incel episode and possibly the man up episode as well. But yeah, basically, what we define as toxic masculinity comes from what Connell originally just defined in the 80s as hegemonic masculinity. Which, um, yeah, so everybody, even though, you know, it's a book from the 80s, everybody should read it. It is the defining text on masculinities, really, um, it being called masculinities. And it's, it's still a really, really valuable and incredible read for us. So essentially, we have turned what was originally known as hegemonic masculinity. So these ideas 
um, and thoughts around what is expected of men or how men are expected to perform their gender and their identity in society. Um, and we've turned it and now call it toxic because it is, because there is nothing wrong with being a man. There is nothing wrong with identifying as a man. There is nothing wrong with playing into certain stereotypes that align with masculinity. You know, there's nothing wrong with men being into sports and beer and, you know, all of that. That's all fine. Um, but the problem is that when men are forced or believe they are forced to behave in a certain way, that then means um, that it, if you're doing something that you don't want to or you feel is unattainable, because what if you just don't like sports or something like that and you're told, well, you're not a real man if you don't like sports and all the rest of it, that can foster a huge amount of anger and resentment. Um, and essentially toxic masculinity is both very dangerous for men and women because when a man has his masculinity threatened or feels that he's not fulfilling these roles or whatever it is, you know, actions, behaviors associated with masculinity, quite often it's to men or it's to women. Women will feel the, the physical, the emotional um, and the literal effects of that. So like even to... Um, just give a little bit of context here. So um, Brendan Kiley, he is a young adult fiction author, and he was interviewed in The Guardian in 2018 about his opinions on writing young male characters for young male audience. And he says that, quote, a definition of masculinity that emerges from a culture which silences, shames and gaslights women is dangerous. It harms women and robs boys of the potential to be better human beings. Seeing American President Donald Trump in all his ugliness has acted like a wake up call to male authors. We need to teach boys that they do not need to perform outdated gender norms to look like men, end quote. So basically that's what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about the contemporary mainstream manifestations of toxic masculinity um, and how they're negative for people of all genders, no matter how you identify. Um, and it's very much based on this idea that gender exists in a binary, which we know is nonsense. Gender exists on a spectrum, right? But if you see gender as existing on a binary with male on one end, female on the other, um, there are particular ways to perform maleness or masculinity and particular ways to perform femaleness or femininity. And if you identify as male, but don't align with those behaviors, then under that binary construct, you're wrong. There's yeah. something wrong with you. Whereas if we accept that actually gender exists on a uh, on a spectrum and there's a full spectrum of identities, actions, behaviors, belief, and, and none of it really matters. Like, okay, so I identify as a woman and there is an inherent part of me that knows I'm a woman. I've culturally constructed my identity as a woman, but that I don't let that dictate whether I like sports or, you know, don't wear makeup or, well, I don't drink beer because I'm celiac, but, you know, um, those, those kind of things. So if you, it also means that I don't feel I have to do things because I'm a woman or I can't do things because I'm a woman. Whereas toxic masculinity is based on the idea that you have to or can't do things because you're a man. It's actually fu funny you should mention specifically about drinking beer there for a second, right? Because, Yes, there is a very um, assigned masculine uh, image of, you know, meeting the, the guys down the pub and, you know, knocking back 20 pints or whatever. Um, and that has contributed to a rise in health issues mm -hmm. among men, including cirrhosis of the liver. Yeah. You know, it is expected that you go out and drink all the pints after work. And it's something that for me, I tend to assign a lot of that imagery with post-war, uh, um, yeah. you know, images of men. It's, you know, the very kind of, uh, I'm just using the image of Mad Men for a second, mm -hmm. of that kind of, you know, we're sitting in the pub, everyone's smoking, everyone's drinking incredibly strong uh, liquor. I'm not here to judge people who drink, but this idea of, you, you, you went home after work? Is, is there something wrong? No, I went home, but you were sober. I'm I'm very confused. And again, this just this assigned idea. Now, obviously, alcohol has existed an awful lot longer than that. And I think particularly, while I do think it is a stereotype, 
Ireland does have a reputation for a silent male generation that drank itself to death. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and even I, I, thinking about it, I remember listening to, and if anybody hasn't listened to this podcast series, they really, really should. Um, I think it was the journal did a six-part series on um, the Stardust tragedy. Um, oh, yeah. And it was, yeah, it was incredible. And look, as a Northside dog, you know, my a next door neighbor of my grandparents passed away in that tragedy. So like, it was very important for me to, to listen to, but it's an excellent series, but they interview a huge number of people throughout it. And um, one of the men, he said something that really struck me. He was talking about clearly they had PTSD afterwards, right? But they said they found their comfort at the end of a bottle or at the end of a glass. And that was the idea that, you know, real men don't have emotions and can actually just, you know, get over things by having a drink and forgetting about it. And that that's that's an element of toxic masculinity, this idea that and this goes into everything we talked about in terms of man up, that men don't need to talk about things. They just need to get over it. Mm. Uh, and that's, you know, really dangerous and, and, and ridiculous. And also you touched on there this idea that it is particularly within this gender binary, we're, we're, we're usually talking about assumed heteronormativity um, because that, that plays into those ideas as well, right? And within that, it is for men and women to marry and have children, but it is for men to talk to men and be friends with men and women to talk to women and be friends with women. And like, it's so ridiculous because I mean, well, you know my husband, my husband is my best friend in the whole world right I have you are a very dear friend of mine I have loads of very dear friends but my husband is my absolute ride or die best friend the first person I want to talk to when I have something good bad or anything literally anything happen in my day we enjoy spending time with each other you know we want to spend most of our social time with each other because we are best friends who happen to be in a relationship with each other right but what's funny to me is that that's not the norm mm. Do you know what I mean? There's nearly an expectation that actually um, we should, yes, be in a relationship with each other, but that's separate to hanging out with friends. And that's totally alien to me, but I, I understand that that is a norm and that feeds into toxic masculinity as well. It does as well. And there is obviously the, the phrase, the, the old ball and chain. You know, I, yeah. I think that is it directly comes from yeah. that. It's you tie yourself into a marriage or relationship, you know, that you escape by going and meeting your friends, which is bonkers. Yeah. Like you, every everyone has choice. Everyone. Now, there are so many things that go into choosing to be in a relationship mm. and and not. I, I, I respect that. I do. But um. I was going to say, obviously, nobody's standing there with a weapon. I am aware that shotgun weddings really were a thing for a while. Like, I am aware that quite literally sometimes there was somebody standing there with a gun saying, get married. But that is, and I, to be clear, I am speaking from a Western uh, experience here. Um, you know, a Western uh, Irish 21st century experience here as well. So, um Please, uh, please, please indulge me in that respect. But, you know, you, you choose to be in a relationship with somebody you assumedly like. Yeah. And want to spend time with so much so that you live together, that you, you know, we draw up these incredibly, you know, complicated legal documents uh, to say, ha you can't get away. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, so. This, just to go back to what you said there about, particularly about PTSD, um, mm -hmm. the, that is a very tangible health issue that arises from uh, Boys Don't Cry. Yes. Um, and I can think of a few things that are more damaging in the long run to say to a young child than telling them that showing emotion that was perceived as negative Mm -hmm. is wrong mm -hmm. because that then becomes a learned trait of a person a learned part it's of their psyche yeah. and then the, hard, the hardest thing any you know the, the hardest thing any musician will tell you is learning how to play is one thing unlearning how to do something is a different thing altogether yeah, yeah. 
yeah like you know it's very difficult to if you're tackling someone's racism or homophobia or something you know they weren't born like that it just kind of seeped into them through culture and peers and all the rest of it and it can be very very difficult to explain to somebody or to to actually get somebody to understand why racism is bad racism is bad or homophobia is bad yeah absolutely um but also it's like if you if you tell somebody to not have any emotion or that that's wrong to express your emotion for me now i'm going to make a weird comparison here okay well for me it's like are you ever fascinated by spanks because you're right that is a weird me. comparison yeah okay stay with me because the concept of spanks is they suck and tuck and all the rest of it right my question is where does the stuff go if you're sucking and tucking and all the rest you know where where does it physically go i don't understand the physics behind it and for me you know and i know people will say like later and later throughout the night the spanks are getting tighter and tighter and tighter and then the release when you get them off and you go okay take that so imagine you're wrapping your big spanks bandage around a young boy who's crying or is told not to express emotion and that gets tighter and tighter and tighter the more and more and more emotions grow within him when you take that off there's going to be an explosion and it's not going to be healthy mm-hmm. for the person themselves because they don't know how to express themselves and for the people around them because it will be instead of being mildly upset by something it will be a complete overreaction at something because it's actually been building up for God only knows how many years. You know? yeah. So don't wear spanks. That's the message of this podcast. That is, and I, I'm glad that it, it took us nine or 10 weeks to get to the point of the feminist babysitter, but do not wear spanks, yeah. um, either physically well, no, or I mean, emotionally. You do you. You do you. I mean, that's that's my whole thing. But physically or emotionally, I wouldn't recommend spanks. I, it's, it, I think it's, it's a fair point. Well made. Um, but we only need to look at uh, domestic abuse stats mm-hmm. to see how often it is the, let's say, the male partner visiting it on the female partner. Of course, there is more to it than that. But That's if we true. just take this idea of a person who has repressed expressing emotions healthily their entire life or potentially has been taught how to express things in a negative way, mm-hmm. this gets focused on the path of least resistance, which is often the partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I say, this is not exclusive to heterosexual um, binary relationships, mm-hmm. but it's so often you hear this story of the man goes out, he downs 10 pints, he comes home and beats the shite out of the wife. And do we do anything about it? No, he's only like that when he's drinking. Mm. What? that's that's not that that's the excuse yeah um and it does why doesn't she leave why and it is a horrible realization when Mm. the other side like say you know why doesn't she leave like either there is that idea of oh i can change him that's okay but also there's a million there's a million bloody reasons why she doesn't and it's none of your damn business it's not that's not the issue she shouldn't have to you know we go back to us talking about victim blaming she has you know and we're talking heteronormative relationships here she has done nothing to warrant this why should she she shouldn't have to change her behavior as a result of the behavior of somebody else so i just think it's a silly question Mm. it's irrelevant there can be a million reasons why she hasn't and it's none of your damn business stop why is the person abusive you know reframe the narrative you know exactly why is why is he hitting a dig at somebody he has he has said he loves, you know, mm-hmm. they have chosen to be together in a loving relationship. A black eye should never, ever enter that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so then, so then, you know, what do we do? So we have this generation, obviously it's more than one generation, but let's say we have this generation of men who have been told, don't talk, don't express your feelings. It's, it's not the place of a man to do this. It's all bottled up inside. It gets visited on the partner or themselves. Mm -hmm. Of course, again, look at suicide rates. Look at self-harm rates. Self-harm can, of course, be visited either at the point of a knife or at the bottom of a glass, as we've we've discussed. Or in steroid use. 
or in steroid use. And actually, and funny enough, now that brings me on to this this Playboy issue mm-hmm. as well. This image of, you know, the you know, if he sleeps with twenty people, he is a legend. If she sleeps with twenty people, she's a slut. Yeah. Um, you know, this idea has been around for so long, and the it lock also- and key metaphor. I hate that one. Oh, I, I'm I'm going to ask you for that one now because I I feel I've heard so that. So was... if you've a key that opens a load of locks, it's a master key. If you've a lock that can be opened by any key, it's a shitty lock. Yeah, I love that one. There was in in the gay community, there is a lot of internalized homophobia as well mm-hmm. within the gay community, and there is oftentimes a lot of bottom shaming. Mm-hmm. And I feel there is a crossover here as well, because there's, you know, this idea of the hyper masculine male who tops. And by that, I mean, is the penetrative partner mm-hmm. and this idea of the incredibly feminine bottom, who is the receptive partner. And there is a, a lot of shaming of, oh, my God, you're a bottom, you're a bottom. And I remember vividly uh, uh, several times, but say a group of us sitting around going like, yeah, but. If we all identify as tops, well, we're not going to do an awful lot with each other, are we? Mm-hmm. You know, like, is it, do we not all need each other in a sort of a symbiotic relationship? And I mean, I sound like I'm making a joke out of it. I'm really not. Like, there yeah. is there is no sense in any of these insults. Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, you're a, a key that, or you're a lock that can be opened by lots of keys. It's like, okay, but, well, by your logic, those keys need locks. So... Yeah what but part of this it it contributed to the rise in hiv transmission and that was an absolute that that was an eye-opener for me so because promiscuity which Mm -hmm. itself has it has there's a negative connotation on that word which i reject out of hand but Mm -hmm. this idea you you, consenting adults do whatever you want exactly Right. So there's nothing at all wrong with being promiscuous. I encourage everyone be as safe and be as do whatever you want to do. But this pressure of be with as many people, be with as many people, be with as many people, adding to the pressure of drink as many points, mm-hmm. add these two things together, poor decisions in terms of precautions. Yeah. And then we have a rise in. HIV, syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, these all these sexually transmitted infections are ripping through communities. Well, we also know that there's always um there's always a rise in HIV cases after like big sporting events, so like World Cups and that kind of thing, um, because men go off and have unprotected sex potentially with with sex workers or with with um other women who you know they they may not know their status or that kind of thing and then then they bring it home and then a an unsuspecting partner who wouldn't have a reason to get to have a test Mm. um can end up can end up becoming infected you know but again that that feeds into it as well because it's this idea of oh i'm away with the lads this is a great idea peer pressure you know all of that kind of nonsense to be unsafe um, and to engage in in disrespectful practices to your partner if you're in a committed relationship, you know. Yeah. And it is. It's and and again, it a lot of it stems back to this is what boys do. Boys will be boys. Yeah. You know, um, and that's one side of it. Also, boys will be boys can lead to extreme amounts of violence on the playground, mm-hmm. um, extreme bullying, uh, not reporting bullying as well because it's just expected and also uh, the nonsense of girls being told oh if he's teasing you he likes you oh yeah if he runs up and hits you on the arm it's like so we're normalizing abuse yeah from the playground yeah um and i mean i mean it, it's hardly a shock i saw this happening as a child in the playground well, we're yeah. literally then telling boys that actually because it's not only girls hearing that it's boys hearing that too so they'll go oh that's how i action my feelings yeah because people know that if i hit that girl it means i like her it's almost like marking my territory yep um which is this animalistic you know i am 
the owner it may never be as conscious as this because it's been drilled into us from a young age and by the way i say i saw this happening i by no means excuse myself i am absolutely 100 certain i took i partook in this behavior as a child mm. um and yeah this idea of i have made this action which now in some form or another makes her mine mm -hmm. and that then leads into the bro code mm -hmm. you know well Bro, what are you doing going after her? I told you she was mine. Mm -hmm. um, which, I mean, do we even need to break down that sentence as to go, what's wrong with that sentence, you know? <laughs> but even it, it, it feeds into this whole, you know, it is for men to want to engage in relations with women. It is for women to be the gatekeepers which means that men are then taught, oh, but you should keep pushing because actually she really wants it all. And we can, you know, we know where that's going. Mm. You know what mm. I mean? I remember being in nightclubs, you know, before COVID, no, 100 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, somebody would say, and I always, I have no problem with a guy coming up to me saying, can I buy you a drink or something? And no, thank you. Okay, cool. Have a good night. Grant, no problem with that at all. But my problem is when it would be like, ah, go on, ah, go on. Or somebody would come up to you and hand you a drink and go, I bought this for you. And you're going, I don't know you. I don't know what's in that. And then they get offended when you don't want it. And you're like, you could have drugged me. Um, but it the amount of times when it would be a case of somebody pushing and pushing and pushing. And you'd go, I've told you I don't want to, to communicate with you. Drop it. You know, but it's this idea that they're told, no, 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 keep pushing because actually that's what women want and all this kind of nonsense. And even like, I mean, that it it does start at home, which is not in a way saying your parents are the ones who are solely responsible for this because it is a endemic to society and still is very much today. This is not something that it, it is hopefully something that is improving with awareness but it is still very, very much a part of society today. I think it just comes up in different ways, to be honest. I mean, I think, you know, in some ways we it's everybody now knows it's no longer acceptable to slap a woman on the arse at work. Right. But then we're still having bro code and locker room talk and grabbed by the pussy all, you know, like we, we that's still going on. So I just think it's it's changing um, in in other ways and even as i talked about before in terms of expectations in terms of you know how men present themselves and how now marvel superheroes all have six packs on their six packs whereas if we look at the han solos and you know sean connery's of the 20th century that wasn't the case we've just moved the goalposts so i think it still happens so like i would argue that hegemonic masculinity and toxic masculinity are like waves of feminism except that because basically well, yeah i mean I, I really feel like I should, I should say that because basically what's happened is it's toxic masculinity is the natural development of hegemonic masculinity and it's now presenting in ways that may not have been plausible ways to present themselves previously so even though some things have changed other things have changed for the worse does that make sense uh it, yes yes it does a bit but because I've done some reading on it. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was reading there about the, the rise in mythopoetic masculine, I think it's masculine, or myth mytho mythopoetic movement, mm -hmm. um, which I think came in the, in, the rise, uh, in the rise of, in the wake of hegemonic masculinity mm -hmm. moving into toxic masculinity, that seems to have been, and I'm being very very nice here when i say it seems to have started with some good intentions mm. um of uh, this kind of lean back to an agrarian almost you know it's okay agrarian in terms of let's till the earth let's talk about our feelings mm -hmm. so it's like okay sounds good so far you know mm -hmm. um you know let's not let's not bottle everything up that then almost immediately gets co-opted and mm -hmm. becomes anti some waves of feminism it definitely seems to be set up in opposition to feminist critique of yeah. masculinity yeah and which to me now it's all well and good for me sitting here in 2022 to say that makes absolutely no sense 
like what if if you were against this toxic masculinity would it not make more sense to embrace femininity yeah some people just hate feminists no matter what that is true that is very true um so it's a bit like that that meme where you see the person cycling along with the bike and they put the stick through their own spokes and fall off and go ah femininity it's like <laughs> what um but it seems like it's it, it it tried to go sort of an extreme um this idea of men sitting around the campfire handing the uh, the feelings stick to each other you may not speak you may not speak but as i say at the expense of opening the conversation to anyone outside that perceived group, mm-hmm. um, which itself is another form of just, oh, we can do this while we're here. We can't do this in other situations. We can't speak about things in other situations. It becomes quite exclusionary. And we we spoke as well just before we started recording of almost immediately the release of the term hegemonic uh, masculinity into toxic masculinity the old alt-right raised its head there fairly quickly. The who? Oh, wow, I'd forgotten about those guys. What a beautiful few seconds that must have been. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and what is yeah. the alt-right? How to sum up the alt-right? Dicks. Nonsense. Uh, um, and yes, I, I definitely used a, a, a word used to, depart, uh, to de- describe the part of uh, male anatomy there bunch of dicks because a lot of the time it is yeah and it's just it's it it, i was reading it like this this increasing just oh god's sake because it seems for every single idea in the world there's someone waiting there to go actually yeah another way i would sum up the alt-right is that actually brigade 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 where do mansplainers get their water from well, actually, <laughs> I like that. That's good. No, yeah, I do. Yeah, they, they, they have a wonderful ability to, no matter what you're talking about, change the topic to suit them and bring up some generally ridiculous statistic. Yeah. About some, look, how do we define the alt right? As 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 about how we've done it in our one word summations. Sorry. Um. I was going to try and just, I'm going to full on hands on my air, use Wikipedia for this one. Go on. Uh, the alternative right is a loosely connected far right white nationalist movement, a largely online phenomenon. The alt right originated in the United States during the early 2010s before establishing a presence in other countries and declining after 2017. I think this is a very hopeful. Um, it's very hopeful. This is a very, Did they very not optimistic. watch the insurrection. Yeah, like it wasn't that long ago, the old insurrection, you know. Um, so in 2010, American white nationalist Richard B. Spencer launched the alternative right webzine. So this is where the actual term seems to pseudo scientific form of racism. I just, I actually just want to hop off that. Page. No, I'm going to leave that page up because it's unfortunately it tells us what we need to know. Names, mm. names that, you know, without naming them, you can think of most of the names straight away. Yeah. that we would associate with alt-right. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that the image I'm looking at has the Confederate flag. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, it's just, look, I have no problem having a difference of opinion with people, you know, no matter what it is. I don't mind. Um, I don't even mind having a proper discussion with somebody who might, you know, be against gay marriage or something. If I can have a meaningful, respectful conversation but I can't cope with the alt-right because, well, they fundamentally think that I shouldn't, as a woman and as a big, loud, angry feminist, that I should just get back in my box. Um, and I just, I, I can't convince them that the sky is blue. Mm. You know what I mean? And I just, I can't deal with that. And it's like, it's not just anti-women. It's, it's white supremacy. It's, classist it's you know it's homophobic it's everything it's it, it actually that's a good point it's it is almost everything ist you know mm. it's if you do not look exactly like this cookie cutter cut out of what they think a human being mm-hmm. looks like then you're wrong yeah basically if you don't look like um steve rogers as captain america yes actually well 
um, which is, I know there has been a push, I think, within Marvel Publishing to try and address the corruption of this image of the all-American man. And I think the TV series did a really, really interesting um, take on it. Did you watch it? Um, which which of the series now? This the Winter uh, Soldier. And... I did watch that actually. Yes, yeah. yeah, and yes, I think I think you're right. Like you had of the the two potentials, if you like, that went into that series as well. Who's going to be the next Captain America? There was a there was a very I thought healthy discussion of what it's like to be a black man in america no matter what your achievements are mm-hmm. it doesn't change the fact that the second you walk through the door somebody looks up and says oh black yeah would in fairness i think that tv show i think it did something really strong when it showed oh your man the blondie dude who was supposed to be captain america when mm. he lost it and he you saw the blood on the shield and that was a really really powerful moment when for me that was a that was an anti-alt-right moment and you're going this is what happens when you just blindly follow. Like Steve Rogers was the right man to be cap. But that doesn't mean that another tall, blonde, white man is the right man to be cap. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're so right. The, uh, the imagery of the blood on the shield, which you now potentially there's another episode in the blood on flags of certain nations. Um, and I'm not, I'm not, to be fair, I'm not just singling out one nation here um, mm-hmm. there, but that is a, such a powerful statement. And in fairness, fair play to Disney for actually mm-hmm. doing that because mm-hmm. good Lord, Disney does not have a fantastic track record now when it comes to being <laughs> inclusive or, you know, Hang on, we're, still, we're still trying to get that Disney sponsorship. Be nice. uh, oh, so it's doing well. It's doing very well, Disney. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, but yes, it is. It is actually, and I, in a way, it's interesting because it tends to be of the live-action series that have been that have debuted on Disney Plus. Falcon Winter Soldier tends to be not as well received as the rest, and I, I think there's there's no mistake the fact that the very strong political message mm. behind that one is probably why. Yeah, probably. Um, but uh it's an important conversation that needs to be had. Um, mm. And as well, I mean, even actually, uh, that was a really good example because even taking that character of the new Captain America, that he can't do the things that Steve Rogers did. And you can see this rage building up inside him mm-hmm. because he's not what has been shown to be the mega man, the ultramous, you know, the superhero with who literally is genetically enhanced you you know what i mean has superpowers basically magic like but yet there is an expectation that oh but that's what you need to be Mm. exactly and as is true on screen is how many gym memberships swell every time a marvel film is you know released and there's not a thing wrong Look, there's not a thing wrong with working out or pushing yourself to be as good as you can be as as you understand the term good. That's fine. I I have been known to lift a heavy thing every so often, not nearly enough for it to make a difference. But hey, sure, listen, here we are. <laughs> that in itself is not a problem. It's when anything like that starts to be abused, starts to push and that your self-worth becomes mixed in with I want to be like that that I see, this image, this idea of this perfect man, mm-hmm. it becomes a negative thing because it is a self-defeating goal. You will not be Steve Rogers. To everyone out there, you will not be Steve Rogers. And there's not a thing wrong with that. You know, you are because you. Because he literally doesn't exist. Well, that's in fairness. <laughs> you're right. He I does mean, not Chris exist. Chris Evans isn't. Is he Chris Evans? Is that one? That's great. Yes, that, that yeah. was Chris Evans. Two yeah. Chris's in Hollywood. Like there was Chris Evans isn't Stephen yeah. Rogers. Do yes, you know what is. I mean? Like uh, it's not it's not attainable. But that I all didn't... plays into these notions that we're told that this is what you're supposed to be. And I've talked about this before. This is what we've done to women forever on a in a different scale. But um when we do it to men, um it's really, really dangerous and damaging. And actually slight tangential but i think it is it is emblematic of it we just finished watching the second series of cheer last night i don't know if you watched cheer it's i've about, seen a few episodes yeah 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 so it's about the the cheerleading teams in the states 
Um, and what was really interesting is that a huge amount of the men on the two teams that they um, that they focus on are very well present themselves as very camp. You know, don't know exactly how they identify, but they they very much present themselves at, in a camp manner. Um, and one of the teams then gets a couple of lads who are are very heteronormative and incredible athletes, right? And they can tumble and they can bounce and they can do all the all the stuff, but they can't perform. They really struggle with the dance moves and the performing of it. And the coach is trying to get them better and all this. And they keep saying, and I mean, they, they're saying this in front of their teammates. No, that's gay. That's too gay. I won't do that. That's too gay. You know what I mean? Using gay as an insult in yeah. 2021 or 20, whenever it was filmed. Um, and you're kind of looking at it going, they're, they're using gay as an insult. What? That's still a thing. Um, but it is, you know, and there's this idea that I can't. So then they kind of come to, to a, an agreement with one of the guys in particular they're like okay if you can't smile he won't smile like if you can't smile will you at least like do it in an aggressive manner so you'll finish all your tumbles and then just give us a look or give us some you know to just try basically it's trying to connect with the judges in some way because otherwise he's just bouncing around the place and then walking off and he's not making eye contact so he agrees to do that and his final performance I mean it's incredible but it is it's quite aggressive and I, it just really struck me as so interesting that there's that, you know, he, these guys are, are comfortable in their masculinity to a certain extent in order to go into a sport that is very heavily female dominated or populated by gay men, but yet not comfortable enough to just go that extra step and do the performance element of it, which is actually a massive part of the competition. I think that's really, really interesting. Yeah, actually, it's it's funny as well, because I, I, I can, without having seen the episode, I can picture what you mean, that, yes, um, technically, the performance might be astounding. You know, yeah. what these people can do with their bodies is incredible. And yet, it is a performance, like any performance on stage, like when you go see a film. And if you can see that the, the person is more concerned with the technical aspects of their delivery, as opposed to putting on a show... Mm-hmm because for whatever reason, they are uncomfortable in what they're doing. I remember, um, I'm continuing this tangent slightly, years and years and years and years and years ago, um, uh, I was playing piano and I had learned a piece and I was delighted with it and I made a mistake and I kept going. And at the end of it, uh, my teacher said, uh, about 17 bars in, you made a mistake. And I went, oh yeah, no, I heard this. He says, no, no, Sean, I watched it on your face. Yeah. That's why as you, you kept going. There was that's and that's how you, you know, you perform as, you know, you accept everything, including the mistakes. So, but I saw you were annoyed. Mm. And I was like, oh, crap. Now, we didn't really do very, like, we didn't know how to then fix that going forward. But he's like, just be aware of that. Like, people yeah. are watching you as much as listen to you. So it ties yeah. in, I think, with that as well. Um, so and how this do we obsession fix- with, yeah. sorry, this obsession with what people think of us when, like, so what if you make a mistake? So what if you look gay or look camp or whatever? What difference does it make? Yeah, like I was, uh, I mean, look, I have an okay understanding of myself. I, I am, I'm quite comfortable with myself. Like I literally sleep with men. I do not care if I look gay, mm-hmm. you know? And yet every now and again, I will still have somebody say to me like, oh, Sean, I never knew. It's like, okay. Um, I don't really know what you want me to say what here. What does that mean? Yeah. yeah. I was like, are you congratulating me for hiding a part of myself, which I wasn't doing, you just didn't pick mm-hmm. up on it, mm-hmm. or are you chastigate or chast- chastigating? Chastigating. Chastising. Chastising. <laughs> Castigating is a word. Note to self, mm-hmm. check out the meaning of that word. Chastising. Are you chastising me for not fitting your perceived notions of what a gay man is? Mm. And I'm just like, I, I'm just me. Um. Now, I'm not making light of people who struggle to portray who they their authentic selves are. I'm, in fact, I'm making a point of it. It's just at the end of the day, no matter what you do, somebody will see you in accordance to how they see the world. Yeah. Whether that is, you know, you are ultra-masculine, ultra-feminine, somewhere along that spectrum. There's really, there's nothing you can do 
to make sure that every single person sees you the way that you want to be seen. So an awful lot of energy will be expended in a completely self-defeating uh, practice. Um, but yeah, it's about how to get enough people to understand and see that in themselves. And that is an ongoing challenge. But even the, I would argue that the inherent uncomfortability that you may have in expressing yourself or the anxiety you may have in expressing yourself, whatever way that is, is a result of behaviors like toxic masculinity. Because the fact of the matter is, you are you, you're an individual, you are who you are, you love who you love, you act how you act, whatever, it doesn't matter. Your identity is all of those things and more, you know what I mean? But if you feel that you need to fit into certain boxes, be no matter what they are, be them the gay box or the straight box or the manly box, whatever it is, that's because of toxic masculinity. That's because we're told that, that there are particular ways to behave. You know what I mean? And that's because we have the likes of Trump, you know, using violent and aggressive language that makes us think that, well, that's what being a manly man is or makes some of his followers think, you know, that's that's what manliness is. And that actually showing a softer side or a more gentle side or a more feminine side. And I don't really like linking those things because why should feminine and, and gentle or softer be necessarily linked? But in terms of stereotypes, they are that that's less man and also why are you linking gender identity with sexuality why is being less masculine related to your sexual orientation yeah those things aren't intrinsically linked but toxic masculinity links them yeah you know uh, to come back to your point of like that's so gay it's like well uh, and it's an old joke this is not original it's like but surely the most masculine thing in the world you could do is have sex with men if you're mm. a man i mean that's like we're just going to take femininity off the table altogether yeah you know um and of course it's seen as you know oh you're gay well you're just a woman then because that's what women do women sleep with men mm. it's like just stop and think about the actual thought process behind that yeah, there's a lot of mental gymnastics that go into it because it's false. That's the thing, because it's not real, because it's a construct that we have all become embroiled in, perpetuate, and they're therefore complicit in, whereby men do this, women do that, and anything in between is a bit weird. Yeah, that's it. And you should be berated for not fitting into whatever it is you're supposed to fit into. And that's 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 fundamentally my main problem with toxic masculinity, because all it does. Look, I don't want men telling me that I what I should and shouldn't do and all the rest of it. Of course, I don't. But all it does is hurt people. It hurts you because you feel less than and it makes you hurt others because either you see them as less than or you um, you tr you treat them you know as less than you essentially it's othering you know yeah. um and that's what we do and like i you know as i said with toxic femininity no one person embodies all of this except for trump <laughs> um no i'm sorry i really think he does um and he's he got away with it and was allowed to get away with it because pe enough people bought into his bullshit um, but no, nobody really embod embodies this fully, but we all have elements of it within, within us. You know what I mean? Yeah, and anytime us, you, yeah, go on. Oh, just, none of us, we don't live in a vacuum. You know, we, yeah. you know, we are experienced, uh, we are, sorry, exposed to depictions of what masculinity is, what mm. femininity is, what you should do if you're a man. I, it's, it's funny. Um, uh, I, I'm actually going somewhere with this. I've just eaten a Yorkie, right? Do you remember their not entire market? Exactly, their entire marketing campaign, not for girls. Mm -hmm. So not only, all right, brave choice, cut out 50% of your audience there straight away. Mm -hmm. um, what was the thought process? Something like that. Now, uh, we can cover uh, gendered marketing maybe on, on another episode. Yeah, because it used to make me deliberately eat Yorkies. And I, I wonder if someone was like, you know, well, maybe we will 
get mm. more customers to say that, oh, yeah. well, and so on and so forth. But it's just like, there is, to say, act like a man. Mm. And I'm just, I'm basically just parroting what you've already said. To say act like a man means I know exactly what it is to be a woman and I don't want to be that. Yeah, it's less than your othering. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we've talked about the phallocentricity of language. Like we, it, you know, and I think at some point we probably should talk about performativity of language because it's so intrinsic to, to rape culture. Um, we build our entire language around us and them, I and other, and other is lesser and other is feminine. Yep. And we know, we know that, that we've reached this crisis point, right? Because we have this normative masculinity or these, these toxic masculinity ideals, right? That, that state that feminine is negative, but to truly epitomize masculinity is unattainable. So we're at a crisis point. Because the fact of the matter is you can't be Steve Rogers because you don't have super soldier serum. And if you don't fit those, For those now. kind of those, <laughs> well, I'm clearly developing it in terms of how my body is dealing with COVID. Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And so, how do you become Steve Rogers? Well, you go to your nearest feminist babysitter and you ask for the COVID cure. Stop! We're going to get cancelled. If this is what gets us cancelled, I think we've done okay. <laughs> That's true. Oh, well, I'm a feminist. There's plenty of people who just want to cancel me in general. That's right. And I'm, I'm a big gay. So, I mean. Yeah. yeah. And, and we have a platonic relationship between a man and a woman. You know what I mean? A platonic friendship. So. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're screwed from the beginning. You know, all of the listeners. It's fault. There is no listeners. So if you are listening to this, you're actually, you're not a listener. We made you up. Yeah, so, we did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose, right, I think that's probably a good place to maybe say toxic masculinity is bad. It's bad. No, it's only bad. And, th- and that's really, really key. It is fundamentally only, can ever only be bad forever. There is nothing good about it and there never will be because it is not about actually living and expressing and embodying your masculinity. It is about striving to achieve unattainable goals that have been set by the patriarchy and that only serve to hurt you because they're such narrow, ridiculously subjectively created, constructed realities. Did any of that sentence make sense? Toxic yeah. masculinity is bad. It's only it's, ever bad. But I mean, it's uh, it is a perfect summation. And as always, you're wonderful. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks. Aww. Bye. Bye. Uh, bye. Where can people find you online? Uh, Instagram at Carol Quigley. There's knee at the end of Carol. Come find me. Send me dog content, cute dog content. That's what I like. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Dr. Carol Quigley. You will not find me on the Twitter sphere. That is where you will find Sean Ferrick. You will find me there. You will find me at Sean Ferrick on the Twitter sphere. You will see rather a lot of Star Trek content. Um, and you will also find me on LinkedIn. I myself am still looking for myself on LinkedIn, but I am told I am there. I found uh, you, but I'm a feminist babysitter, so I'm wonderful. And 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 this is you are literally keeping me alive at this point. So thank you very much. Um, and as you go and cure COVID in the world, we will say thank you very much to everyone for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye.